and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. I'm going to read our scripture. We will be in Psalm 90 if you want to follow along with me in your own Bible, or it'll be on the screen behind me. Lord, through all generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from the beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are a passing day as brief as a few hours, a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. We will wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before us, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80, but the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they fly away, or soon they disappear, and we fly away. And then we're going to skip down uh, to verse 14. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love, so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with the good. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I'm very excited to introduce you to someone. Um, Seth Michelle is here with us, and he is a dear friend of our church. And by dear friend, I mean um, that myself and Chad, I think, have quoted him in almost every sermon for the last year. Um, And so we figured if we were going to talk about him all the time, we wanted you to have the chance to meet him. And so um, it feels very right to me that um, not just my good friend, but also someone who has been um, a mentor to me in in my own formation, would be here on our last Sunday to celebrate with us. So I would like for you to meet my friend, Seth Bouchel. Do you want me to be loud on that? Seth Bouchel! Good morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Seth Bouchel. I work in New York as a missionary and a church planter. And if I'm going to be honest this morning, I I don't enjoy telling people what I do for a living. And and a part of that is just a a matter of language, right? It it happens all the time in various areas of life. You use a word, and you can't assume that people understand it in the same way that you mean it. You know what I'm talking about? That, you know, for example, I, I was watching SportsCenter a while back, and one of the commentators talking about a recent football game said that the defense literally smothered their opponents. I didn't watch this game, but I'm pretty sure that's not true. (laughs) Pretty sure that the defense didn't run out with pillows and just smother their opponents into the ground. Uh, And this happens a lot, but it happens particularly with religious language. That 
We may say things like evangelism, church planting, the mission of God, and gosh, we can't assume that people know what we mean or, or share a meaning with us. And in fact, we can probably expect that they don't. Uh, and so it, I don't like to tell people what I do for work, but I, I think if I'm reflective on it, there's a deeper problem for me. I think it's because I, I grew up in a ministry family, and that sort of language and that sort of job title sounds important. And I don't know if you know anything about that kind of profession, but if you look at my life, it almost looks like I don't have a job. Uh, I spend a lot of time talking to strangers in bars and going to barbecues and hanging out in people's living rooms with the intention of having spiritual conversations and discipling people. And, you know, ideally, we make disciples that make disciples and plant churches that plant churches. But day to day, it, it doesn't really look like I do anything particularly important. And that can be insecurity inducing because the life of a missionary is pretty underwhelming. Which brings us to our text today. Uh, If you are the kind of person who flips over there, we're going to be in Exodus 19. But this is one of the most important moments in all of Scripture. That for all of the rest of the text of the Bible, and also for the life of Israel, when they ask the question, who are we? And what defines us, this is the story they come back to. So let's read together. Uh, On exactly the third month of the Israelites leaving the land of Egypt, they came into the Sinai Desert. They traveled from Rephidim, came into the Sinai Desert, and set up camp there. And Israel camped there at the foot of the mountain. And while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you should say to Jacob's household and declare to the Israelites. You saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So now if you faithfully obey me and stay true to my covenant, you will be my most precious possession out of all the peoples since the whole earth belongs to me. You will be a kingdom of priests for me and a holy nation. These are the words you should say to the Israelites. So Moses came down and called together the people's elders and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him. The people all responded with one voice, everything that the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses reported the Lord what the people said. And then the people said to Moses, or the Lord said to Moses, I'm about to come to you in a thick cloud in order that the people will hear me talking with you so that they will always trust you. And Moses told the Lord what the people said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and take today and tomorrow and make them holy. Have them wash their clothes, be ready for the third day, because on the third day the Lord will come down on Sinai for the people to see. Set up a fence for all the people around and tell them, be careful not to go up on the mountain or even to touch any part of it. Anyone who even touches the mountain must be put to death. No one should touch anyone who has touched it or they must be stoned to death or shot with arrows, whether an animal or a human being, they must not be allowed to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds, may they go up to the mountain. So Moses went down the mountain to the people, and he made sure the people were holy and that they washed their clothes. And he told them, prepare yourself for three days. And when morning dawned on the third day, there was thunder, lightning, and a thick cloud 
on the mountain and a very loud blast of a horn. And all the people in the camp shook with fear. Oh, my phone rotated and we'll get back to it in one moment. <laughs> all the people in the camp shook with fear and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their place at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord had come down on it with lightning. And the smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln while the whole mountain shook violently. The blast of the horn grew louder and louder. Moses would speak and God answered in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to come up to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people not to break through to see the Lord or many of them will fall dead. Even the priests who come near to the Lord must keep themselves holy, or the Lord will break loose against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people aren't allowed to come up on Mount Sinai. You warned us yourself and said, set up a fence and keep the mountain holy. And the Lord said to him, go down and bring Aaron back up with you. But the priests and the people must not break through and come to the Lord, otherwise the Lord will break loose against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. There's a couple of things I would like to draw our attention to in this text. And one is that Moses, at over 80 years old, has just ascended and descended Mount Sinai three times. <laughs> I don't really have anywhere I'm going with that. I just find it impressive. <clears throat> the second thing, though, is that I find this story anticlimactic. Did you get that sense? I, we may not read far enough. <laughs> But I, I find it anticlimactic because when God comes down in thunder and smoke and fire and earthquakes and, you know, don't even touch the mountain or, or you'll die, you would expect God to say something like, Hear, O Israel, only you can throw the ring of power into the fire of Mount Doom. Hear, O Israel, only you can defeat the Sith and bring balance to the force. But in the very next verse... When, you know, God in, in thunder and lightning and fire and in his own voice is speaking to Israel and they respond, we will hear and we will do. What he tells them to do is don't worship idols, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, be holy. You know, when, when foreigners and immigrants move among you, treat them like your own people. He gives them Torah. And, and that doesn't feel like a big enough response to this event. That doesn't feel big enough as a response to the movement of God in this moment. It's anticlimactic. I'm, I'm not exactly sure anticlimactic is the word I want to use. I want to use the word irony. Uh, but ironic is, is like literally. It's another one of those words, isn't it? Um, you know, for the scholars in the room, I'll, I'll point you toward poet laureate Alanis Morissette. Um, very famously has a song called Ironic. It goes as follows. It's like rain on your wedding day. It's a free ride when you've already paid. It's the good advice you didn't take. Who would have thought it figures? Isn't it ironic? Which is, this is a pop quiz. I'm pretty sure the answer is no. Um, is Alanis here with us, by the way, this morning? Okay, no, we're fine. Uh, that's not irony. Those are unfortunate coincidences, Ms. Morissette, but irony 
is the dramatic reversal of expectation and circumstance. You know, irony, irony is when you drive past the hospital and the nurses are outside smoking. Um, I, irony is the fact that the only braille I've seen at the bank is in the drive through ATM. Um, irony is Tom Sawyer, right? It's up, up in the rafters of his own funeral, and they say, oh, if Tom were here, we would tell him how much we loved him. And he comes down and he says, I'm not dead. And they say, Tom, you're the liar and the cheat that we always knew that you were. <laughs> and our story today is ironic, right? That the God who has created the world and is entering into a covenant with people to be a priesthood to restore all things has chosen to pursue that mission in this way. Doesn't feel big enough. Now, Lindsay has warned me that some of you are heretics. <laughs> um, so I, I imagine that there are people today sitting among you thinking, well, that's the Old Testament. That's Israel. We're New Testament people. We're the church. But this is not the last time that we're going to encounter this story. In, in Matthew 5 through 7, we are again going to come upon God on a mountaintop. And the people surround him, and he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. I tell you, don't, don't be angry with your brother or sister. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Why don't we don't lust at all, yeah? You know, you've heard it said, don't lie. Don't swear at all. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Give to the one who asks, and don't turn away from the one who seeks to borrow from you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And it just doesn't feel big enough. It doesn't feel big enough that this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's ironic that, again, God has entered into human history and chosen to restore all things through the little way of Jesus. Is that a phrase you all know? Little way of Jesus. It comes from a, a St. Therese of Lisieux who was a, a French nun that died in the early part of the 20th century. She was about 25 years old when she died. And her life was so remarkable to the other nuns in her convent that they asked her to write her spiritual autobiography so that they could use it to teach people how to sort of conform to this way of life. And in fact, that would go on to be influential enough that a young Albanian nun before moving to Calcutta would rename herself after St. Teresa, and we know her as Mother Teresa. Uh, but in, in her autobiography, she says, you know, when I moved to the convent, I wanted to be a great saint. I wanted to live the kind of life that when people looked at my lifestyle, they would be moved to dedicate themselves to God. But as I walk around the convent and I, and I garden, I, I realize something that the splendor of the rose and the brilliance of the lily, they don't take from the little violet its scent or from the daisy its simple charm. She said, so I wish to only be a little flower in the garden of God. And she called this the little way of Jesus, that when, when one of the nuns would forget to do their chores, she'd just come up behind him and do them. No reason to call attention to yourself. And when someone would get sick, she would go take care of them, despite the fact that sick people are gross and often ungrateful. Uh, at mealtime, she would pick out the most annoying and emotionally needy nuns and go sit with them 
listen to them complain, complain about their petty problems, and in, in that way try to pay attention to them and love them in the way that Jesus might. It's a little way of Jesus. And I think we all know those nuns. I, I think our ministry may be made up entirely of those nuns. Uh, because, you know, I go out and I'm, I want to plant churches and I want to make disciples and be an evangelist and share the gospel. But most of the time, I'm just hanging out in people's living rooms and at their barbecues, listening to them comp- complain about their petty problems and invite me to their stupid Facebook groups and talk to me about politics. <laughs> and, you know, they want my time and attention, but most of it feels like an incredible waste of time. Why are these people demanding my attention and time? And becoming an obstacle to the important work of the kingdom of God that I am here to do as a missionary. But you see the irony. That the God who has created the universe and entered into human history to form a covenant with us to restore all things has chosen to do this through the little way of Jesus. Isn't it ironic? Uh, We're going to do a prayer practice together now. For those of you that aren't familiar with breath prayer, that's what this is called. Uh, I would encourage you to breathe slowly and mindfully. About five-second inhale, five-second exhale is a decent rule of thumb. And here's what I'd like you to pray. When we inhale, I'd like you to say, God does not love the person I wish to be. And on the exhale... I'd like us to pray, God loves me. 